So last week we started a new series, and it's going to run through the month of January, and we're calling it The Emblems of Grace. What, are, uh, what is grace, and what are the markers of grace in our lives and in the, in the lives of others? And not simply getting at like getting at it as like an, uh, an, ident- uh, an identifier, like, okay, that's grace, but really honoring it in other people, like really honoring the grace of God on other people is a, is a challenge for us during, during this season. And we got at the heart of what grace is last week and how it works in our lives and in the lives of others. We talked about how um, in the church today, we talk a lot about what grace means, we define grace as the unmerited favor of God. It's unmerited favor of God is what grace is. But so often in the church, we overtalk the unmerited part and we undertalk the favor part. So we overtalk what um, grace takes away and we undertalk the part about what grace puts on our lives and what we carry in that. So if we claim Jesus as Lord this morning, we carry the emblems of grace everywhere we go. It's not like a light switch that we get to turn off and turn on depending on what room we're in. You simply, you have no choice in the matter is what I'm saying. You carry living presence in you. You carry the Holy Spirit in you if you claim Jesus. So everywhere you walk, you simply release the kingdom wherever you go. Even when you may not think you are doing so, you are. You carry the emblems of grace. We talked about how grace is somewhat of an art form. One of my favorite movies, A River Runs Through It. One of my favorite movies because it has to do with fly fishing. But there's a deeper story involved in in that movie. If you remember, um, there's a part, uh, Norman MacLean, who wrote the book, A River Runs Through It. Um, it's a collection of sh- uh, short stories, and it's, it's woven over, River Runs Through, it's woven over the context or the framework of fly fishing, but really goes deep into relationships. And he said that his father was always keen on saying, Norman McLean said that his father was always keen on saying that all things, uh, trout and eternal salvation, are a form of grace. And grace comes by art. And art doesn't come easy. Art doesn't come easy. So there's effort involved in walking in grace. It's true that we don't do anything to earn God's favor on our lives. There's nothing we can do or not do that would exempt us from his favor. But as Dallas Willard once said, grace is opposed to earning, but it's not opposed to effort. The art of grace, carrying this thing of favor on our lives, does take effort, as any relationship would. It takes effort. And we talked last week about the wedding at Cana, where Jesus uh, performed his first miracle by turning water into wine. And we talked about those guys that he asked to carry water from the riverbank, or do you remember, from the well to the six stone jars. And those guys are, and those stone jars are huge. There's six of them, and they could carry up to like 20 gallons a piece. 
And so they don't have hoses back then. They're walking back and forth. They're picking up the water and then they're moving it back and pouring it into the collective pot. And they say yes again and they go back and they scoop up the water and they put it in the pot. And then only after the jars are full, Jesus turns the water into wine. So there's this everyday quality to grace where we simply say yes. We simply say yes. The daily act of living in God's grace is like that. We go about ordinary and mundane kind of days and there's something of God's forming our character in those moments. He's shaping us to be more like him so that we can actually glory in the everyday moments. Because we know that the Lord's shaping something in us to display his favor in greater measure in the future. Today we're going to talk about favor. We're going to get at this thing of carrying favor and how we steward that individually and collectively. We're going to talk about the purpose of favor. What's the point of favor? The purpose of the favor of God on our lives together. We're going to journey why that's significant for us in this moment together. We're going to talk together about what favor does to us, what favor does in us and through us, and to, and to those around us. It's going to be a lot of fun, I'm hoping, and we may even get to demonstrate this a little bit at the end. So let's pray together. We'll, God's presence is here already. We know that. But we just want to pray that he would awaken something in our hearts, make us, make us attentive to his word, make us quick, be quickened to something of the Holy Spirit this morning in us. So, Father, we love you. We thank you that you love us, that your favor rests on us. I thank you that you're here. God, you see every journey. You see every family that's represented in the room this morning. You see and you love. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. We thank you that for the tangible sense of your presence and worship. We didn't just read lyrics off of a screen, but we encountered something of your presence. Your presence is beautiful. Your presence, God. We, we yearn and we long for, for more of you, Holy Spirit. Would you come and would you fill people where they're uh, empty or dry, breathe fresh on dreams this morning? on those desires, God, that may have been um, trampled on before or just dormant in the past, would you come breathe fresh on those? That we would see you, Jesus, with fresh eyes this morning and that we would see ourselves the way that you see us, God. I pray that you would speak through me as I should, that I would say something that would uh, strike a chord with people. You know where people are coming from, God. And I pray that, Lord Jesus, you would be exalted in our midst, that you would be lifted up, that when we leave here, we would, we would say, Jesus, you are King of kings and Lord of lords. You are exalted, high above any other name. We love you, Jesus, and we collectively say, come Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Well, what do we mean when we talk about favor? When we talk about favor, we might talk about it in a relational context. You know, in, in our context today, it might be uh, in the form of a question. You may uh, 
have heard this question before. You may have asked this question before. It probably typically would come up in in the span of a week a couple times. You might ask somebody, hey, can you do me a favor? And the reason why you ask, can you do me a favor? Or are you willing to do me a favor? What are we asking? Well, in our context, what we're asking is, are you willing to do something I don't want to do for myself? (laughs) Or can you do something that I might forget to do later? That's what we're asking. But at the heart of this question, what we're asking in the truest definition of the word is, would you be willing to show me some kindness? Would you be willing to show me some kindness? Favor is kindness. Favor is God's kindness. We ask this in our heads so often. Is there anyone out there? Is there anyone out there who will show me kindness? Can't I just get a break, we say in our heads. We call it luck sometimes. If, I just had a, if, I, if someone just opened this door for me, and what our hearts are really asking, what we're really getting at, is, is there anyone out there who will show me favor, who will show me kindness? Favor is God's kindness resting upon us. It's his smile on our lives, his goodness in our journey. Favor is the, the gift that keeps on giving. You know, some of you parents, uh, you give your kids gifts, me, myself included here, and Christmas has just passed, and the new gifts that we've given our children, some of them are already collecting dust in the corner. They've put them down. We've called uh, Winnie's, my daughter, we've called Winnie's uh, collection of lovies, or like stuffed animals, the island of misfit toys, you know, because she gets a new one, and she's enthralled by the new little stuffed cat. And then there's the island of misfit toys, like Rudolph and the Red-Nosed Reindeer. They're just forgotten, lining on her bed. Grace or favor is the gift that keeps on giving. Favor continues to be shown to us. It's a powerful thing. Favor delivers us from fear. Favor releases us from shame. It undoes the work of the enemy. It unravels the work of the enemy. God's work in favor cancels the assignment of the enemy over our lives. Favor also sets us up for increasing abundance. And the cool thing about God's favor is that it's for everybody. Favor is for everybody. Everybody gets a share in God's favor. Do you ever look around, maybe during Christmas time, and compare and sort of compete? You're like, oh, what did... What did that person get? And is that, is that person's gift like as good as, as my gift, the, the thing that you got me? Do you guys ever do this? No, you're lying. You do this just like I do this. We compete and we compare Christmas gifts. What are they getting? But God's favor is not like that. God's favor is not like that. The beauty of God's favor is that everybody gets a share. It's favor that's enough. It's a gift package. It's for everyone. We don't have to compete or compare favor. We get to just rest on the favor that rests upon our lives. We just rest in it. So what's the purpose of favor? What's the point of favor? Many times, often we think of grace or favor as simply the forgiveness of our sins. But it's more than that. It's more than the forgiveness of sins. It's, it's more encompassing than that. Grace not only saves us, but it makes us sit together 
the scriptures say, in heavenly places to demonstrate to the ages the exceeding riches of God's kindness. It not only saves us, but it makes us sit together in heavenly places to demonstrate through all eternity the exceeding riches of God's kindness. The purpose of favor is our benefit. We eternally benefit from God simply being who he is. See, he cannot be anything other than kind. He is in his nature kindness. He doesn't have to try to be kind. God doesn't have to try to be kind. He just is. And we experience favor because he is eternally kind. And through favor, through the experience of favor on our lives, he lifts our head up out of the prison And he exchanges our prison rags for royal robes. And it all flows out of who he is. Men and women may try to run from God's grace. Maybe they're not used to a father who loves them irregardless of what they do or do not do. Maybe they don't know what that's like. Maybe... There are some here this morning who don't know what's that, what that's like to experience the love of a father who loves them irregardless of what they do. But trying to run from grace is not possible. It would be like trying to extinguish the light of the sun with one of those candle dampers. You know what I'm talking about? It just simply can't be done. And men and women cannot use up all of God's favor or use up all of God's grace. It's inexhaustible. It would be like trying to scoop out all of the water of the ocean with a tablespoon. Well, we're going to read out of Romans today. If you wanted to turn there, if you had your Bibles, we're going to be in Romans 5. And we're going to start in verse 1. And just to set up, Uh, some context here. Romans is a letter from Paul, and Paul's writing to the church at Rome, the church that he planted, and most scholars would agree that he's writing as, um, as a fundraising type of letter. He's writing to encourage them, but he's writing also to raise funds for a trip, uh, to Spain. So in Romans 5, 1, we read this. Paul writes this. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, And character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So what's Paul talking about here in verse 1? When Paul is talking about justification, what does Paul mean by since we have been justified through faith? Well, if you've been around the church for any amount of time, you might have heard that clever little saying about justification. Justified. Just if I'd never sinned, right? Some of you have heard that before. 
But justification is so much more. It means, yes, that you're pardoned. You're forgiven. That's true. But it's more. You see, when we say this, when we're forgiven of all of our sins, past, present, and future, it's like it's a negative statement. Do you see how that's a negative statement? It means that we're cut loose, we're forgiven. It means that we will not be punished. It's a negative statement. But justification is a positive statement. Justification means that you are welcome into all my love, all my presence. You may come. Forgiveness is kind of like a get-out-of-jail-free card. But justification is something like getting the Congressional Medal of Honor placed around your neck, bestowed to you. You have access through justification, through faith, free justification. You may come. Justification is more than forgiveness. It means that Jesus Christ was slain before the foundation of the world. It means that you are getting not just a good record, a clean slate. He's not just a good person. Jesus is not just a good person. He was love embodied. Jesus was love embodied. He was brave, but he was bravery beyond. He was self-sacrificial. So what justification means is that on the battlefield of the cosmos, his decorations, his medals, his emblems are put all over us. That we might become the righteousness of God. Righteousness, right standing with God. It means that we are treated as if we've done everything he's done. Justification means that It's as if we've been treated as if we've done everything he's done. You see, your past justification and the way you are now is not dependent upon you. And for the religious in the house this morning, that's a very offensive thought. But the truth is, your justification is not dependent upon you. And for those seeking grace this morning, that's a very freeing thought. That it doesn't rest upon your shoulders It's not dependent upon you. Your blessing is not dependent upon you. Your future is not dependent upon you. We're not blessed on who we are, what we have done. We're blessed according to who Jesus is. 1 John 4, 17 says, As Christ is, so are we in this world. As Christ is, so are we. That means this morning, friend, that he is not looking at you, judging you. He's not judging you. He's not estimating you. He's not measuring you. He's not reckoning you. He's not measuring you according to what you have done or who you are. God is simply looking at you as he would look at Jesus Christ to judge you, to bless you. How good is that? On how good he is, on how good Jesus is. So the challenge for us this morning is to stop asking the question, am I pleasing to God? Am I pleasing to God? It's the incorrect question. It's the wrong question. The question we should be asking this morning is that, is Christ pleasing to God? 
Is Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father? And if Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, then you have favor with the Father today. You never have to worry about coming in on shaky ground with the Father. You know exactly where you stand. You know exactly where you stand because Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. As Christ is, so are we in this world. It means your permanent position in the present is not going anywhere. You didn't do anything to get yourself there, so you can't do anything to get yourself out of favor with God. In the Greek, it's in the perfect tense, access. We have access to God. That means that it's a once and for all act, never to be repeated. Your position with Christ is favor with God all the way, permanent, can't be taken away. That's how God sees you. Once you give your yes to Jesus, you're in favor with God forevermore. For some of you, whether you like it or not, God looks at you and he simply sees Jesus. He sees favor written on your life. I also notice there in verse 2 that we have access to favor. That we stand in favor. We stand in favor. What does this mean that we stand there? It means that His favor, because Jesus died in our place, his favor is resting on us. When the angels announced to the shepherds Jesus' birth, they said peace and goodwill to men on whom his favor rests. On whom his favor rests. It's not coming and going. Favor is not coming and going like in the Old Testament. Because it's not based upon what you do or what you do not do. It simply rests on you. His favor rests upon our lives. It's never ending. It doesn't come and go. Comes in and goes out. Have you ever been in conversation with folks who talk like this? Life is just like mountains and valleys. Life is something like a roller coaster. Life is a highway. I want to ride it all night long. No, no, it's not. The reason why we say these things, life is full of mountains and valleys, life is like a roller coaster, is because we're viewing Scripture, we're interpreting Scripture through our experience. If we were to view Scripture in truth, we're moving from favor to favor. God's favor rests on you. It's not going anywhere. It's unending. It's increasing. It's multiplying in your life. The scripture says, from the fullness of God's grace, we received favor upon favor. Favor upon favor. That's like, what what the scriptures are saying there is it's like the waves on a beach. One wave replacing the next. Favor upon favor. That means, friends, in Cleveland, Ohio, you are not moving from failure to failure. You're not moving from disaster to disaster. You're moving from favor to favor. If we, are, if we assess our lives through the lens of Scripture and not experience, that's what we'll find. We're moving from favor to favor. And because favor is resting on our lives, and because of who it comes from, 
There's no rationing of this favor. It's not like the Father is sitting in heaven and he's like keeping all the favor back here, rationing it out like some sort of World War II rubber drive. Like, I don't know. I've only got this much left. They sure look like they could use some kindness, but I don't know. I mean, have I got the kindness to spare? That's not the Father. He's not rationing favor. He's not rationing it. But we think in our heads that this is the way it is so often. We think that something is Something bad is destined to happen to us. We call it a string. We've had a string of good luck. We're due. Something bad is going to happen. The shoe is about to drop. Something bad is going to happen. And most of us live life like this. And what we're unaware of is that often we're living our lives out of a sense of karma, not grace. That's karma that says what goes around comes around. That's not the favor of God. We live life as CPAs. We live life as accountants. We did all of those things, so something bad is going to happen. But the beauty of favor is that he's not rationing it. It's only increasing in your life. Sometimes we get shortchanged by people, and we think that that's the same way that our Father is with us. That God does that too. But his favor didn't just come to pass. It came to rest. So if God's favor is unending in my life, or if you, if you dare to believe that this morning, that God's favor is unending in your life, what do you do about difficult days? Where does that, where, where does, where does that fit? Where does the struggle fit? Where does adversity fit in the lens of favor? Well, Paul writes in verses 4 and 5, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. So what does favor look like in the middle of illness, say, or in the middle of grief, or in the middle of tension and relationship? How come it... How come it doesn't always feel like favor is resting on me? Well, many of us think that favor excuses us or exempts us from adversity. But that's actually the opposite of what Paul is telling us here. Favor does not excuse or exempt us from adversity. It equips us for adversity. And you can be sure if there's unusual warfare surrounding your life, it's not because you do not have favor, it's because there is favor on your life. See, the, the enemy's MO is to kill, steal, and destroy. He's upset that you've made it one day further. So anything that he can do to get you isolated, to get you believing that God's favor doesn't rest upon your life, he'll try it. And you can be sure that if there is warfare surrounding your life, it's a sure sign that God's favor is resting on you. Not the absence of God's favor. And initially speaking, 
God's favor doesn't always look like it sometimes. That's okay. God's favor doesn't always look like favor. Or what we think, it, what we think favor should look like. You know, just take Jesus' birth, for instance. Jesus was born in a feeding trough. That doesn't look a whole lot like favor to me. Jesus was born as a refugee. The people who were supposed to hail Jesus as king were trying to kill him. That doesn't look a whole lot like favor to me. So the point here is that favor doesn't always look like the way we think it should look like. If favor looked like the way I thought I think it should look like, we would have had a house six months ago. <laughs> and I don't think I filled second service in. I need to fill you guys in that um, we're closing on our house on the 22nd. So it's good. And we'll be moving in on the 29th and 30th. So anybody who wants to like help us with the truck, that'd be great. Um, so yeah, so it doesn't, look, uh, it doesn't look a lot, oftentimes, favor doesn't look like how we think it, sh- it should look, you know? It looks different. And the challenge is that in all of this hardship, in the struggle, favor challenges us, the Holy Spirit challenges us to see that there is something good in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. There's something good in the middle of it. And also the encouragement to give it time. Give favor time to work. Give it time to work. And sort of the scripture parallel is that when, when you hold up, when you hold up a, a mirror, I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm constantly reminded about this. But when you hold up a mirror, on the, out, on the outside, things are fading away right? On the outside, things are fading away, but on the inside, not a day goes by that grace is not unfolding. Give favor time to work. Give it time to work. Favor also unlocks our future. The truth is that many times we try to accomplish through labor what can only be accomplished through favor. What God's saying here is that I've put something on your life that can only be unlocked through favor. If you rest, if you deliberately lean back into the favor that he's put on your life, it unlocks something of your future. Without favor, it's failure all the way. But when God gets involved, when God gets involved in your family, when God gets involved in your work, When God gets involved in your relationships, there's favor that's attached to that. And it's true that we can accomplish some things, we can get some things done without favor. But if we want to see the impossible things take shape, it's only favor. It's only by the favor of God resting on each of us. Have you ever um, sat down with someone or Maybe notice someone across the room and you're like, how, that person, really? Like, how does that work? You know, you never expect it. It's inexplicable. That person? 
That's the favor of God on that person's life. If you can't explain it, that's the favor of God. They've learned how to lean into the favor on who God's uniquely created them to be. That's favor. That's what it looks like. And favor is unleashed in his time. You know, I've been around ministry for, you know, I mean, some of you have been around ministry longer than I, so you can attest to this, but, you know, 14 or 15 years. And um, many times I've seen the truth of the matter that folks, many folks quit before it's time. Give favor time to work. They don't see it. If I'm not getting my break, if someone would just show me favor, my luck would turn. But what we really mean is favor. And we quit before our time, the set time. God says that there are set times and places for you to experience his favor. And some, some folks are on the brink of coming into favor, coming into a new thing in their lives. And they quit because they can't handle the, the tension. You know, they can't live in the tension of the now and the not yet. So give favor time to work. Let it unlock your future. And give God his time. You know, it's his time. Let him unleash it in his time. It will come to pass. God always deepens our character before he widens our favor. He says, what I'm, what I'm about to do in your life, God says, what I'm about to widen favor in your life, I'm about to do this, son or daughter. I'm about to widen favor in your life. For the favor that's coming, you're going to need a deeper foundation. I'm getting you ready for the future I've already ordained. But in order to get there, you're going to need to learn to let that go over there. You know what I'm saying? He's deepening character there. And he doesn't discipline us because we failed. He disciplines us so that our character can be aligned with the favor that he sees for our future. So that those two can be aligned together. He says, I want my favor to be multiplying, but in order to do this, we got to let this go. Just like Elsa in Frozen. Let it go. Can't let it hold you back anymore. Let it go. God's favor uplifts you in the sight of others, and this can be awkward sometimes. It begins to elevate us. And it's, it's the parallel to favor. When, when favor comes in, it uplifts everything that's attached to your life. So when there's a delay sometimes, it's because you cannot take some of the relational connections with you into that place of favor that God has for you in the future. And the reason that you can't take um, some of those relational connections with you into the future is because God knows the future, and he knows that some of those relational connections may cause sabotage to the future that he's laid out for you. When God has a good future for you, which he does, I believe this, 
He sets you apart. That means he, he separates you. In favor, there's somewhat of a separation that comes sometimes. And favor only means something when we don't quit. When we don't give up, favor means something. People begin to look at us sometimes. People begin to look to us for solution. When God's, this is why it's awkward sometimes. God begins to lift you in the sight of others. And this is why it's awkward, because his favor is visible on you. It can be awkward sometimes. And I would say to get ready for God to do some acceleration in your life. And that might make you feel a little bit uncomfortable. And the reason it might make you feel uncomfortable is because it's visible on your life. People begin to look to you or for resource from you. And that can be a little bit awkward sometimes. If you're not used to that. And the last thing is that favor leads us to unprecedented opportunity. There are places God wants to take you in the future that you've you've never traveled before. You know, sometimes in life, we look at life and we're like, man, this one's a rerun. I've got this one. I know this show. But see, what favor does is it takes you into places that you've never explored before. Uncharted territory. And that's when character becomes so important. Because without God deepening the basement, without him deepening your character, your foundation, the favor won't mean anything. Favor only means something in the context of character. And this is my prayer for Vineyard Cleveland. This is, this is what I pray, that God would unlock doors of favor over us, for us, that he would lavish his favor upon us in the coming year, that he, he would just lather, uh, lavish favor all over us. That would, be, that would be my prayer, that we would view ourselves as he views us, that we're not moving from failure to failure, from disaster to disaster. Our story is not the story of Cleveland sports teams. We're not moving. That's not us. That's not who we are. That's not what we carry. In the same context, it's not, it's not a resort back to the glory days. It's not what we're saying here. We're moving from favor to favor. We're moving into the great unknown. We're stepping into something unprecedented for our city. I'm telling you, it's God's timing on this city. Some folks don't, don't know maybe for, for a number of different reasons, but there's, there's something happening in the city of Cleveland. There's some, God's doing something in these times. There's this, there's this sense, um, especially downtown and in, uh, in Ohio City type areas where God is empowering something of, a, of an entrepreneurial spirit. And it's, not, and it's not just like a church thing, okay? It's not just like um, a within the four walls thing. He's lifting 
You know, Psalms 8 says that God, God's put his glory over the city. You know, that he's put his glo- glory over the city, and Cleveland is no different. There's a glory that rests over the city of Cleveland. There, there are young entrepreneurs downtown in the city of Cleveland who are starting to say, hey, we've, we've got a part to play in this story. It's not the Rust Belt forever and ever, amen, period. There's something of uplifting, community transformation. And I believe, it would be my belief, that God wants to use many in this room to be a part of that, to be a part of that story. We're going from favor to favor. I know I, I didn't come here to fail. Sarah and I have got everything in this. I didn't come up to Cleveland. I, I knew I wanted to come home, but God wouldn't bring me home to fail. To move from failure to failure, that doesn't sound like the Father's heart. 